In our look at uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, we're up to Matthew 5, 17 through 20. With this text really is kind of a hinge where Jesus begins to turn uh, his attention and our attention to uh, uh, just who he is, what it is that he has done for us, and our response to that. And so uh, before I read that text uh, to you this morning, let's pray uh, and ask God to make... Uh, um, make his word clear to us. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, confess that your word uh, is true and authoritative, uh, and yet uh, we would uh, be cold before it. We would be uh, even dead before it unless your spirit makes us alive, gives us a soft heart, gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. And so we ask that you would do that for us today, uh, because without you, uh, we uh, would be unmoved and unchanged uh, by your scripture. So uh, take this authoritative word and apply it to our hearts and lives today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20, uh, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." So let me just start uh, this morning by saying that every one of us is a legalist. Uh, you and I uh, and every human being that lives has a law or set of laws that we live by and we expect other people to live by them too. And if they don't, uh, then we are quite uh, disturbed by that. My daughter knows me very well. She you know, grew up riding in the car with me, and so she sent me an internet meme this week that says, God moves in a mysterious way, but you don't have to. Use your turn signal. <laughs> she knows that that's one of my laws, but it's a big law. When I'm behind the wheel of the car, if I uh, find you in front of me not using your turn signal... You have violated the law, and if I could, I would bring you up before my court. I would be your judge and your prosecutor, and I would pass sentence on you and move you on to the prison of my disdain, right? Yeah, I'd love to do that. That's a silly example, uh, but you know that there are plenty of people in your life uh, who violate your laws all the time all the time, and you respond to them uh, uh, based on your own understanding of how that works. So when Jesus comes along and speaks to us about the law and uh, talks to us, you know, we, we have a tendency today and we have a tendency in this church to think, well, the law is bad, the gospel is good, or, the, you know, the law is bad, grace is good, when in fact, 
this Jesus that we talk about, that we worship, that is the heart of our faith, loved the law. He loved it. Took every opportunity he could to speak uh, well of it, to uphold its authority. In fact, we read, uh, Paul writes in Galatians that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus Christ doesn't walk into the world and say, the law, you you know, I'm... uh, The law doesn't apply to me. In fact, he submits himself as uh, our Savior, as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, as as the second Adam. He submits himself to the law of God, and he obeys it perfectly for us. And so, lest we think that there's something that Jesus came into the world to do away with the law, or that Jesus came into the world to... Uh, lessen the impact of the law, we'd be wrong about that. And in fact, the whole season of Advent, when we read these great texts at the beginning of the Gospels uh, about these really Old Testament saints, they're in the New Testament, but they're the last of the Old Testament saints. When we read about them, what we see about them is that the people that God comes to and that he is using there at the very beginning of the Advent of Jesus Christ are people who take the law seriously. We read in Matthew about uh, the the righteous man Joseph, who when he discovers that his betrothed is pregnant, he decides to keep the law by putting her away quietly. We read of Zechariah and Elizabeth as people who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, who were leaning into the promises of the Old Testament, and who lived lives of integrity before their God. We read about Anna and we read about Simeon, people who who, uh, took the Old Testament and the, the scriptures that were revealed there and the law that was revealed there and what the prophets had to say seriously, and they lived their lives in light of that. And so Jesus comes into a community, he comes into a place certainly of darkness and and certainly of, of sin and death and the temptation to hopelessness, but these saints that are enumerated for us at the beginning of the Gospels are people who look to us, who point to us the beauty and the wonder of God's Old Testament revelation to us. And that it was authoritative for them and that it was Uh, their hope, and their promise. And so as we look today at these startling words that Jesus says, I hope you are startled a little bit, especially if your tendency is like mine, and that is to, to confuse often my law with God's law, or to pick and choose the parts of what God says is important that I will think are, are important. And by virtue of doing that, to minimize the actual obedience and atoning work that Jesus accomplished for me by thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I can maintain my own kind of righteousness here, right? 
So Jesus is, 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 is going to turn now in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's going to begin to talk uh, to the people who are gathered there. He's going to speak to them now about, about how he, and then how we, interact with the law of God. And this is, this is one of the things that we have to see very clearly, is that, that he loves the law. Now, one of the things you may be thinking today is, well, I love the law too, because the law is just love. And certainly, the summary of the law is to love uh, uh, God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the summary of the law. And so what we tend to think about that is, well, as long as I'm doing that, all of that stuff in the Old Testament, all of these other commandments, all of these other things that God says, I can set them aside. Well, I would submit to you today that you do not know how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength unless he tells you. How? And you will not know how to love your neighbor as yourself unless he tells you how. Uh, because we must have the law to know how our loves are to be ordered, how they're to work, how they're to function, and, and how we do this. Because the law stands independent of us. The law of God is God's law, right? So our tendency is to think, no, we can take the law and we can bend it and we can move it and, and, and do it, you know, and make it the way we want to make it. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees did. But, but what Jesus wants to, to see and what this text says to us today is, no, the law of God stands apart from us, independent of us. It is God's law. It's a reflection of his character. It's a reflection of his heart. It's a reflection of his mind. It's a reflection of his will for us. And as such, it stands apart from us. So we can't, we can't kind of manipulate the law to be something uh, that, that we create, right? And Jesus makes this very clear, right? He says right off the bat, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So there must have been people who were saying, wow, there's this new rabbi around and he is, he's, he's turning the law over. Jesus never does that. In fact, he's very clear throughout his ministry about what he thinks about the law. In fact, he fully accepts it and even in some ways expands its authority. For him, the law is sacred. I mean, you see that uh, he was, when, when, when Paul writes that he was born under the law, we see that right at the very beginning of his life where his parents bring him to the temple. They offer the sacrifice that the poor people offered at the birth of, of, of their firstborn. He was circumcised. He, he submitted himself to all of these things. He took them very, very seriously. But what he says here is, is he did, that he didn't come to abolish it, but that he came to fulfill them. Now, what does, what does fulfill mean? Well, sometimes what people read when they said that he came to fulfill the prophets, uh, the prophecies, the law and the prophets is that there are some of the laws that Jesus came and he, he kind of expanded those and pushed those and others that he got rid of and that there are prophecies that were about him that he came and that he fulfilled that were true about him. And so all of that stuff with the Old Testament, we can close the door on that now and, and move on. But that's not, that's not what, what Jesus says here. Jesus says he came to fulfill the law. Next, next slide, please, Michael. It's, and, and, and what does fulfill mean? Well, Fulfill, fulfill means to fill up, to complete. 
In other words, the way Jesus looks at this, and I think a good illustration for us to understand this is, is that the Old Testament is God's building, right? And, and, and it is God's work that he used to communicate to his people who they were, the nature of his covenant relationship with them, how uh, it was that a holy God could have a relationship with a sinful people. And so what God does in the Old Testament is he gives them sacrifices. He gives them all of these, these regulations and all of these things to train them, to teach them, and to move them to live in light of the promise that God would send uh, the seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head. And so those sacrifices and those, uh, the, 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 the festivals and all of those things were things that God gave that he expected his people to keep, not by keeping them that somehow or other they were made righteous, but that those were God's way of revealing to his people what his full intention was. And his full intention was to bring into the world his son, Jesus Christ. And all of these things point to him. All of these things prepare us for him. And so, so all of this stuff, this, this, it's like God creates this building and he completes it when Jesus comes on the scene. All of those promises, all of those types, all of those priests and sacrifices and festivals in the Old Testament were there not to make the people righteous. You didn't get the righteousness of God by scrupulously obeying the laws of the sacrifice. We read about our father Abraham. And the scriptures tell us that he believed God and God credited that to him as righteousness. And so all of those things in the Old Testament were there and are here for us as pointers to the ultimate fulfillment, Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a good thing for us to remember. That's a, that's a great thing for us to hear. Now, now, you may hear Jesus say these words that, that he came, you know, that if all the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus and he didn't come to abolish the law, then how come uh, we're not up here this morning with a sheep sticking a knife in its throat and then burning it on an altar? That's a great question. That's a very fair question. That's an important question. But I would submit to you that in reality, we are doing that. It's right here. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. We eat the Lord's Supper. We, we, we take into our bodies the bread and the, and the cup these are reminders to us and pointers to us of the ultimate sacrifice that was made. Now, we're not re-sacrificing Christ here by any stretch of the imagination, but we do have here this meal that we eat together, and that replaces, doesn't abolish, that replaces what those meals and those sacrifices were uh, in the Old Testament. And so we recognize that. We, we, we see that there's a, there's a continuity here and a thing uh, that continues, uh, that, that continues uh, uh, even to this very day. So yeah, they're reshaped, they're rechanged, but the fact is 
Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that, and we look to him, and now our faith is centered upon not the promise of his coming, but the fact that he has come, that he has kept the law for us, and uh, that we, uh, by entrusting ourselves to, to that, to him, we have his righteousness, right? So what, is, what else can we say about the law? Well, Jesus says something very clear to us, right? Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's be clear about this. One of the things that Jesus wants us to see is this, that greatness in the kingdom is measured by obedience, therefore conformity to the law. Right? That's, that's, that's a pretty clear statement here, right? Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Right? So it's not that what we walk around and say to people when, when, you know, when someone comes to you and confesses to you their sin, you know, the, the worst thing that you could do to them is to say, it's not a big deal. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Now, you may be thinking, well, you know, I didn't think it was that big a thing. I didn't feel that offended by it or whatever. But if someone comes to you and confesses a sin, it's a big deal. Because they didn't sin just against you, certainly, but they sinned against God as well, right? And so when they, they come and confess that, we take that seriously, and we take it so seriously that we elevate in that point not only the law of God, but the very sacrifice, the very blood of Jesus Christ, that he died for that sin, that specific sin, that thing that they are confessing. And so if Jesus died for that thing that they are confessing, I dare not say it's not a big deal right? And so as, as, we, as we look at this, that's, that, that's one of the things that, that, that Jesus is elevating for us. And all of this is to make us, to, to train us to take our sin seriously and to see his provision for that, that our hope and our trust in this is not that somehow or other, you know, God grades on a curve, right? The cross tells us very clearly that that's not true. But Jesus goes on to say something that's even crazier, right? He says that our righteousness must be greater uh, than the scribes and the Pharisees. <clears throat> you know, the scribes and the Pharisees read, scrupulously read the Old Testament. They pulled out some, some 620, 30, 40, something like, I forget the exact number of commands and prohibitions, and they took those, they, you know, they, they talked about those endlessly and they came up with all sorts of ways that they kept those and they went about doing all of those things and all of that, you know, limiting the number of steps they took on the Sabbath day and just a million different things like that. And they were okay with the fact that as long as you did those things, you were fine. But what Jesus is saying here is, 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 is the fact that the, the scribes and the Pharisees have missed what the Old Testament actually said. 
Because what the Old Testament actually said is, no, this is, that God's not just after your behavior. God's after your heart. And in fact, the gospel, the law, is not just about outward conformity. It's actually about our hearts. It's about what's going on inside of us. So what, what Jesus is going to do is, he's going to say, as we'll see in, the, in coming weeks, he's going to say, you've heard it say, don't murder. Well, I'm here to tell you, don't be angry. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Well, I'm here. What the law really is about is about not lusting. Paul gets at that when he says that he didn't really think he was a sinner. He really didn't think he was a sinner until he really thought about the commandment not to covet. Why is that? Well, you know, if you're, if you're not actually stealing from someone, if you're not actually not lying, actively lying, you're actively not murdering anyone, you could probably think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good here. But you know you're coveting. You covet. We, that, that's an internal thing, right? That's, that's something that's going on inside of us all the time. That's a desire that we have. And, and you may be coveting something today, and the people around you may, might not even notice, might not even know that you're doing it. Maybe you're coveting somebody's relationship. Maybe you're coveting someone's child. Maybe you're coveting someone's job. Maybe you're coveting someone's shoes. My wife does that. Uh, the very first time she ever saw Ann Long, Ann's not here, so I can say this about her. She was standing right here, and we were sitting. This is back when Marty would sit in the front row with me, and she's sitting there. And Ann was given a testimony about a mission trip or something like that, and Marty leaned over and said, Man, I like her shoes. And so, of course, I hired her because she had great shoes, right? Um, she's never, and it, it is funny because when you sit on the front row and people are right here, their shoes are right at eye level. So, you know, she had a, a nonstop way to worship right there as she could look at that, right? But, but, but here's, here's the thing. We, we covet, don't we? And, and that's, so what... Our problem is not so much what we do, but what we love and what we hate and what we desire and, and what we think. It's those things that are going on internally within us. And so the law has to get at that, right? The law has to get at our drive for reputation. The law has to get at our, our drive for other people's appreciation. The law has to get at our own sense of our own self-righteousness because we're not like these other people, Right? Next slide. So what Jesus is going to say here is, is that it's not, it's not enough to be a good person outwardly. It's not enough to be scrupulous in the maintenance of these behaviors. That what has to happen is we have to be changed. And we have to have a righteousness that is greater than these things that these other that the scribes said. So what the scribes and the Pharisees, while they thought they were scrupulously upholders of the law, what Jesus has said is they don't know the law at all. They don't, they don't keep it because the law is about what's happening internally, about our motivations, about our heart. And so Jesus is, is bearing witness to us. What the, the Old Testament actually did uh, bear witness to us is that, that in Jeremiah, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people, right? So in other words, what God does is, is the law that is his law becomes 
integrated in us. It becomes a part of our character, a part of our soul, a part of our heart. And God does that uh, by putting his spirit within us to cause us to walk in his statutes and to be careful to obey the law. And we get that spirit by seeing that we fail to keep the law, but that Jesus kept it perfectly, that when he submitted himself to the law, he obeyed it, and his righteousness now is mine. And I hide myself in that righteousness. I entrust myself to his spirit, and his spirit takes that law and reorients a wayward and cold and hard heart. That's the logic, that's the, that's the work that, uh, uh, that the Lord is doing, uh, not just coming and saving us, not just coming and forgiving our sins, but actually changing us, making us look more and more like him. We have an opportunity to declare to the world today our unworthiness and to declare the righteousness that is ours in Jesus Christ, and to turn to him, to be energized, to be moved, and to be directed uh, by his law and by his gospel to turn and look more and more like him. Hear these words of institution. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together. Almighty and merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent, according to your promises declared to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a godly, righteous, and obedient life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins.